something that has just been on my heart. I've been dwelling on this for a little bit, made mention of it a couple of times, but just just something that uh, I've probably, I'm sure I've preached on this before a couple of times, maybe more. But I just felt to go this direction this morning to encourage us uh, in a thing. Would you go with me to the book of Luke? I want to go to the 19th chapter and read out of the, um, read the um, 40, 41st verse. 19, a 40, or a 41st verse. And I want to go down, <clears throat> if you would, with me to the 40, 44th verse. And as he drew near seeing the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, even at least in this day of yours, the things of your peace. But now they were hidden from your eyes, for the days will come on you, and your enemies will rise up a rampart uh, to you, and will surround you, and will keep you in on every side, and will tear you down, and your children in you, and will not leave a stone upon a stone. Listen, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Because you didn't know the time of your visitation. Actually, the word here, time, it's the word uh, that means it's kairos. It means uh, an immediate time or a moment. It also means an opportunity. An opportunity. You did not seize the opportunity. So I want to talk about seizing the opportunity this morning. Seize the opportunity. Lord, we ask you now, minister to us, Lord. I'm the one up here reading and speaking, but really, Lord, you need to be the one anointing. And as you've laid on my heart, I'm going to try and deliver, but it has to be, in order to touch anybody, it has to be by your Spirit. And so we ask you, Lord, that your Spirit would just touch us, Lord, and minister to each heart. Lord, we need to be lifted up this morning, minister to every heart, and God will give you the glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 How many of you, without the showing of hands, have heard the statement, opportunity only knocks once? Opportunity only knocks once. It goes way, way back to, I could only trace back to the 8th century. That's a long time ago. But they were using that phrase then. Because people have known that certain opportunities don't hang around very long. I know in my life that I've, I've missed sometimes. Opportunities are fleeting. I've missed them. We call them chances. But really what we mean by that is the same thing. We need opportunity. 
I've missed some chances in my life. Um, you know, I can think of some of the things that I should have done, could have invested in. Just, just a lot of different. You can review that in your mind and think, oh, you know, I had an opportunity for that and I didn't do it. And, and uh, but then again, let me tell you this: everything that you have done brought brought you here this morning. So every t- opportunity that you have taken has you have arrived here in this service in this body on this day because of all the opportunities. But we look at some opportunities that, let's say spiritual opportunities, that if we'd have took them, if we'd have done it the Lord's way, and the older I get, the more I begin to understand that the Lord knows what He's talking about. His way is right and mine's wrong. It just seems like I'm getting there. Lord, you, you know better than I do. We all come into the kingdom as what? Children. Think about being in the kingdom. If you come in as a child, you don't immediately become an adult, right? Uh, process of time. We've got a lot of teenagers in the kingdom. I'll tell you something about teenagers. They think they know everything. And we've got a lot of that in the kingdom. And that's why Paul says, till we all come to the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ. Because we're still learning, right? We're still learning. And so, the things I think I know, you know, what opportunities I should take and what I shouldn't, um, I think God knows better. Amen. The opportunities are based on reality and fact as compared to chance, which is based on luck and coincidence. I present to you this morning that none of you are here on coincidence. I don't believe that. I don't believe in luck. We had some friends that, uh, one in particular, that was really death on luck. You didn't say luck around him. He just would get upset. He didn't believe in luck. And so, of course, we ran by him uh, the thing about potluck. And uh, his, the answer to that is that can be both good and bad. Good luck and bad luck on that. Don't know why they call it luck, right? You know, maybe what that person fixed is good and hope I'm lucky, you know. But opportunities are something that we really can, can, can uh, reason out. And I think it's good for us to know the direction of an opportunity and reason that out to see the end of that thing, where it's going. Now, um, some of us will remember, and, and I don't want to name anybody, but there was a family in our church that had an opportunity, it looked like a fantastic opportunity, and financially, more money than he ever made by far. But with the opportunity, he had to move his family and go somewhere else so that it would be more central to travel, and, and that's what they did. Uh, without a word of counsel, without asking anybody's opinion, 
Um, let's just do that. It's better uh, that we just, we know. And so this opportunity is here. A lot of money, a lot of money laid out there. And so this certain family gentleman did that, took that opportunity, only to find out that some years later that the wheels were coming off the wagon real bad. The money was still there, but now family was beginning to separate. And a lot of things happened because of that job. Ultimately, what happened was they lost everything. They lost everything, including their family, their home, everything they had. It looked like a good opportunity. And for the dollars, it was a good opportunity. But not for life. Life is not about money. Somebody say amen. We talked about that a couple weeks ago and, and how we so get involved with money. Money can't. Don't let money make your decisions. Don't let money... Make your decisions. Let the Spirit of the Lord make your decisions. Come on, amen. And so if we do things and take opportunities that we do not uh, inquire of the Lord, we are prone to failure. Now, we look at the world. Somebody said the other day, and David said this, why do the heathen prosper? It looks like those rascals, they are cheaters and liars, and they're stepping on the next guy's head to get up further up the ladder and it seems like they just keep prospering. Why do the heathen prosper? Why do the nations rage? They say vain things but yet they prosper. Why don't the Christians prosper? Because our life and our God is not money. Somebody say amen. So making decisions because opportunities present themselves and they may look good. I'm going to tell you this, and, and, and whether you believe it or not or accept it or not, it's up to you. And it's been my experience that this is true. There is a reason why that we have overseers in a church body. There's a reason why we have ministry and pastors and, and people because God gives the people that are ministering in the church oversight. He gives them understanding and wisdom about spiritual things. I'm no smarter than anybody here in this room. I don't claim to have, you know, answers to everything. But God gives us and equips us as men and women of God who He anoints, He equips us to see things at a spiritual level instead of just a physical level. And if I'm out here just counseling you about physical things, your idea is just as good as mine. But when we talk about spiritual things, we can see maybe how this may turn out spiritually. And so that's why God puts pastors and helpers part of the reason why in the body of Christ so that the decisions that we make, the opportunities that come in front of us, if you're afraid to ask for counsel on an opportunity that comes in front of you, let's just put it this way. You need to stop right there. Because without some spiritual insight of what's going to happen in your life, man, you don't want to go to ruin. Can you say amen? And so, Jesus made this quote. It wasn't just back in the 8th century. Let's go all the way back to the Scripture 2,000 years ago when Jesus said this, You missed 
the time or the opportunity of your visitation. That word visitation is interesting because it's uh, the same word, base root word that's used for episcopate or uh, we know that as, as uh, what we would call ministry or oversight, supervision. And Jesus came to, to be a supervisor over them, to, to, to counsel them and, and to direct them and to teach them and to guide them. And, and they missed that moment of opportunity. And it's a sad thing. He said it this way. He came to his own. His own received him not. They had a great opportunity of a good life. Can you imagine what would have happened had Israel said, Jesus is going to be our king? Can you imagine that would have been some kind of fantastic thing that would have touched this earth? But, but they refused him, and to as many as received him and took the opportunity to them, he gave the authority to become, the privilege to become the children of God. Can you say amen? The opportunity lays out there. I believe that there are few in this nation that have not heard the gospel, that haven't had an opportunity, but yet look at just the small amount of those who have said, yes, I'm taking that opportunity. I will seize that moment of opportunity in my life. And the Lord draws, and I believe the convicting Spirit of God goes out. Jesus said, unless you're drawn, unless you're drawn of the Father, unless His fatherness, by His fatherness, He begins to draw those lost children. Unless you are drawn by Him, you can't just jump on this thing anytime you want to. I don't think the American church understands this. I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to say a prayer like the Pledge of Allegiance and I'm in. No. Unless you're drawn by the Spirit. There's people who have missed the opportunity in their life. Let me just pose, and I know this, this, this flies in the face of everything that we've always felt. What if the Lord gives you an opportunity and you say no and don't take it? What if He never presents that opportunity again? I know, like I said, that's not something that we want to think about. Because when we're ready, we'll serve the Lord. No. When God gives opportunity, that's the moment that you better seize serving the Lord. Can you say amen? Because I think that's, that just goes along with the modern church. That's how we see it. Whenever I'm ready, I'll just jump on the wagon and, and away we go. And that's why we have a lot of people in church that don't know the Lord at all. He has given opportunity. He's given a time. He's given a call. He's given a drawing. They've heard the Word of God. Something is bearing on their heart, and it's no at another later time somewhere, somewhere else, somewhere else. I will then say the prayer, and I'll be in. Saying a prayer doesn't get you in. Somebody better say amen right there. Saying a prayer does not get you in. Seizing the opportunity of salvation is what gets you in. Can you say amen? When the Lord is dealing, when the Lord is calling, I mean, there are people that I've, I've talked to that have been formerly Christians and, and 
backslid, gone away, and they don't feel the Spirit of the Lord anymore. I don't want to get to the place where I don't feel the conviction of the Spirit of God in my life anymore. I don't want to live in that place where I'm just strictly going by pulling up the bound bootstraps and, and I'm going to be a Christian without any feeling of the Lord in my life because that isn't going to work. I need to take the opportunity when He moves that I need to move with Him. And when He calls and when He touches, I need to open my life to Him in that moment. It's a lot about preaching. We can sit in a church and believe me, you know, I, I don't feel like I have it all. I don't feel like our ministers know everything. But there are times when the Lord is trying to speak to our life. Let me tell you, that is an opportunity. I'll fix it later, Lord. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. was good. That was a good sermon, Pastor Rodney. Some other time I'll deal with it. And the Lord is trying to deal. That's the opportunity, not later down the road somewhere. Come on, say amen. And so we seize these little opportunities that God gives to us because they're not out there all the time. It's not, everything's not the same. This service and the next service, there will be differences. The Lord moves severally as He wills. What Paul said, the Spirit will move severally as He wants to move in this service. And that Spirit is our Lord. He will, he will manifest, however, that He wants to manifest. He will touch your life, but only if you're going to seize an opportunity. I want to talk in probably a couple of Sundays about those who have seized opportunities and those, some of those who have missed opportunity. Is that okay? Because I think that's where we're at. I, th I think we, we all deal with it, go through it. I was reading Jesus and Jericho and I noticed that there were two men in Jericho that took an opportunity that nobody else took. At least it's not recorded. And so you know, if you know the topography of Palestine, Jerusalem is an elevated city. It is up several thousand feet on the mountain slopes. They don't have big mountains like we did in, in California or they have in other places in Colorado. And that. They didn't have that in Israel, but they have some slopes some mountain slopes. And Jerusalem is founded on that. Jericho is down, I think, 3,200 feet below uh, Jerusalem. Jericho's a city that had been cursed. Do you remember when the people of Israel went across um, and were, were going in to take the promised land? This is the, one of the first cities that they came to was Jericho. And uh, Jericho was a walled city. And uh, remember, they marched around the walls seven days, seven times. They shouted the last time, and God brought the walls down. They conquered the city. Uh, and then there was a prophetic word over that city that he that rebuilt this thing. And, and so it was, it was kind of, a, it was kind of a, a negative, cursed city, sort of. Uh, but yet it was filled with inhabitants 
of Israelites, Jewish people. And they had rebuilt the city, and now Jesus, uh, I think he shows this, that it's not the city that he was worried about, it's the people. And so he will go down to Jerusalem, and it's his final loop. He's, he's making a trip down, and then he will come back up to Jerusalem for the last time. This will be his final trip on this road that he's probably traveled maybe several other times. And, but for the last time, he will go up. And now when he gets up to uh, Mount uh, of Olives, we remember there the triumphant entry. I love it. The people are shouting. He goes down riding the donkey down into the temple there, and he cleanses the temple. And it's just a few days after this then that they arrest him. They try him. They sentence him, and they crucify him. This is the last opportunity for anyone that's in Jericho. That's it. One final gasp. One last opportunity. The Lord's not coming back through there again. Now, they don't know that, but... But there are some men who are in desperation. I don't know if they've heard about the Lord. I know that news travels quick. I mean, even in that time when they didn't have cell phones and text and and all the uh, stuff that we have now, social media, would to God, we didn't have it now. I think it creates more harm than it does good. And let me just stop on that point for a minute. There is one of the, the school systems that's trying to sue uh, the social media people because it has left the, um, the, the pupils in that school, it's, it's uh, harmed them from their education. And they're leveling a lawsuit against those companies. I thought, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. Somebody finally is figuring this out a little bit. But anyway, they didn't have that then, but news did travel. And so somebody coming from Galilee, going down into Jericho, has probably talked about the Lord some. I'm, I'm sure that, that uh, they knew roughly who he was. I don't know. It doesn't record whether he has ever been to Jericho before or not. But here is the point. They better act, and they better act quickly if they want to see Jesus in Jericho. And so we've got two men. Let me just talk about them very, very briefly. Uh, we don't know too much about them, but the Scripture does bring out some things that I thought was interesting, and so let's talk about them. Uh, the Bible says that, that near Jerusalem, there were some blind men sitting. They were sitting, waiting, I don't know for what, they were begging. It must be tough to be blind in that day. You didn't receive a pension of any kind. You got nothing but the charity of people. If they helped you, you ate. If they didn't, you didn't eat. And so they are sitting there begging. One of them is named Bar Timaeus. For them, for the scripture to give his name would tell me that the man, his father, Timaeus, Bar being son, son of Timaeus, must have been maybe an elder in Jericho, maybe somebody that they knew, an identification for this blind man, Bartimaeus. But, 
Bartimaeus sits outside the city on his own. He has no help. He's got no support. And he's sitting there blindly groping in the darkness. He does not, he doesn't see what's around him. And it's a, a terrible life to be blind. It's terrible in that day to be blind. But he hears a commotion. And the commotion is the crowd that's following Jesus. And if you've ever just stopped and listened to a crowd, they're not silent, walking along, shuffling their feet, but they're talking. Uh, no doubt the Lord is talking. No doubt the Lord is saying some things like He usually did, teaching and, and walking. And they're going there, getting ready to pass through Jerusalem, or Jericho rather, on the way to Jerusalem. And there is this commotion going on, and Bartimaeus, he's blind, but he's not deaf. And he hears... This commotion, I'm going to guess that this crowd is huge. And because of the next man, I'm going to guess that access to Jesus was tough. Do you remember the little woman that had the issue of blood? And by the way, I thought about that in prayer. All she did was get to Jesus and Jake's got an issue of blood, and we're just trying to get him to Jesus. Can you say amen? And the woman made the right choice. She had taken all she had, everything she had, and the doctors could not help her. And she got to Jesus, and, and the Lord healed her. But she had to pray. The Scripture said she had to press through the crowd. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I've been in some stadium crowds. You all have been to a, to a big football game or a baseball game or or some big meeting of some kind. And I'll tell you what, it, especially when you get down floor level, you can see nothing. You can't see where people are. You're just bumping into folks. And to try and find somebody in the middle of that crowd would be tough. It would be awesome. But it's noisy. It's coming down the road. Bartimaeus says to somebody, what's going on? What they told him is amazing. Now listen to this. They said, Jesus, the Nazarene, is coming by this way. Immediately, he begins to yell out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Where does he get, Thou son of David? That what they've told him is Jesus, the Nazarene. Well, we're going to take you back to Nazareth. And I, I love it, the identification of the Lord in Nazareth because that puts him with David. In 100 B.C., David's kin came back from exile into Palestine, did not go down towards Jerusalem where they figured that they were in danger because they were David's seed. Now the Hasmoneans are in power. It's handed off to Herod. And they stay their distance away because you remember Herod. Herod wipes out those. He kills seed royal because he doesn't want them to take his throne. And here is Nazareth up in Galilee, 90 miles from Jerusalem in a safe little area. But when, when Bartimaeus hears that it is Jesus from Nazareth, hope springs into his heart. I don't know if he's heard about Jesus, the Son of God, or not. But he figures right away, Nazareth, I know Nazareth, Jesus, thou son of David, 
have mercy on me. And they're, shut up, shut up, you're, you're, you're too loud, quiet down. No, no, this is his only opportunity. He's been laying there who knows how long. He will continue to be there, no doubt, the rest of his life. He has one opportunity, and he's not going to miss it. He cries out the more. You thought I was crying out a minute ago. I'm really crying out now. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. He said, bring him to me. I've heard a lot of messages on this because he threw off his, his, his beggar garment they were blind. They, they said that they would have some identification in their garment of being blind. And he threw that stuff off with expectation. I don't know for sure, but the Scripture said he threw his garments off. Maybe he thought, in this opportunity, I won't be a beggar anymore. In this opportunity, I won't be blind anymore. And he gets to Jesus. They bring him up there. And Jesus says to him, what would you have me do for you? And he only knows him as Jesus, son of David. But then he, he cries out again in desperation, Lord, that I might see again. King James says that I might receive my sight, but actually the Greek rendering is that he saw before something happened to him. He must have been injured. I, I don't know what happened, but, but he said that I might see again. And I love what Jesus said to him. See again. That's what he said to him. He didn't go, go into a long prayer, into a long thing. What can I do for you, Lord, that I might see again? And he looks directly at him and says, so, okay, see again. He said, your faith has made you whole. Now, I'm going to go against faith teaching right here. I do not believe that faith is some kind of a substance of quantity that you have that you're going to exercise and now because you have this quantity of faith, you exercise it and now you're healed. No. Faith is belief in. I know that they use that scripture that says faith is a substance of things hoped for, but, but hope is not a substance. Neither is faith a substance. Faith is something you believe in, that you trust in. And he's trusting in something. Nobody else has helped him. Nobody else can help him. But Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, I want if I can see again. And Jesus simply says, see again. And the scripture said that Jesus looked at him and said, your faith has saved you. Uses the word from sozo. I've always heard it quoted, your faith has healed you. Well, it healed him, but he went even further than that. Your faith in Jesus. I want to direct your faith this morning. Is that okay? If you have an opportunity in your life, I want to direct it by faith, not to faith. I want to direct it to believing in Jesus. I want to, believe, I want to direct it to your trust, your hope, your future. The only opportunity that you have for life and life more abundant is going to come to Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And so we place our faith and trust 
is in Jesus. Hallelujah. This man was so desperate. Now, now the scripture says that he followed Jesus in the way. He was beside the road. He had no rabbi. He had no one to lead him. He had no life. Now, he's got a brand new life and a brand new rabbi. How awesome is that? Just one opportunity. Just because he took that opportunity to call out on the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has a brand new life and he has a brand new rabbi to follow. I want you to know this morning that that's where we're at. I don't know. There's a lot of foolishness going on in this Christian world of ours. But when you got saved, when you came to him, you took that opportunity. And the Lord called you and your faith and trust was placed in Jesus Christ. You got a brand new life. Can you say amen? And you got a brand new rabbi. We used to be followers of the devil and sin and rottenness. Now we are followers of our blessed Lord, righteous King and Rabbi Jesus Christ. We love him. Can you say amen? Amen. That's what an opportunity is about. Now let me tell you about the second opportunity. Happened again in Jericho. And uh, punch your neighbor and say, we're going to talk about the second one now. Come on, punch him. Wake him up a little bit. Talk about the second one now. This man... is a little man. He's got little man syndrome. Does anybody in this congregation know anybody that has little man syndrome? Now, we're all different sizes. I guess, you know, maybe I'm average size. Boy, I look at the giants that are playing football and sports and where do these guys come from? You know. So we vary from you know, small, some people are small. It's just, I'm sorry, that's what you got. You know, Jesus said, by your thinking, can you add, you know, just one inch to your size? No, I don't think so. I'm sorry, you got what you got. I'm sorry, Carrie. She's always the butt of that joke. <laughs> like uh, Sister Jen said the other day that, how would you phrase that? Skinny shamed her. And so I short shame. We short shame Carrie all the time. We short shame her. Well, her and Chris are about the same size anyway. Zacchaeus. He's a little guy. He can't help it. But he's got little man syndrome. You can't help being little, but you can help having that, that, that attitude and that syndrome. <laughs> I met a guy. One of the worst things that I could have done, I didn't know. Because some men are not like that. Um, Brother Aaron Harper is he's short. He's, he's a small man. He can't help that. But he doesn't have that attitude. But I do know, you know. So we go to the airport and to pick up our friends. Um. They come down the escalator, and I'd never met him before. I didn't know he was a little guy. And uh, I made a mistake. You know, I know I'm perfect, but I made a mistake. I just put my arm around him, you know. Like, he's about the size of, uh, come here, Riley. She's got heels on. She's too tall. 
And I put my arm around him, and he just felt like a fit. I said, boy, this guy just fits right under my arm. That was not the right thing to say. I have been an enemy ever since. <laughs> but such was Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a small man, but he was going to prove his worth of who he was. You can tell he had the attitude. He was better than other people. And he was going to pursue that in his life, and he did. Now, Jesus has come through Jericho now. Bartimaeus, I, I believe, is one in the crowd now. But the crowd is humongous. And this little guy, he must have been you know, weaker than the woman with the issue of blood because he couldn't even press through it. He said, I got an idea. I see where they're going. And if you read the scripture like this, this is, this is, this is neat because he, he plans out where it's going. I mean, it could turn on a side street or something, but they're going through Jericho and he run. The scripture said he ran up ahead, way ahead of the crowd and, and enough time to climb up in a, it's a fig mulberry tree called a sycamore tree, gnarly tree you could get up in good. And he's up in there so that when Jesus comes by, he said, I want to see him. Then the scripture said, who he is. He knows he doesn't just need a glimpse of Jesus. He wants to find out who he is. And I'm going to tell you something. If you take that opportunity, that's going to change your life. I talked about last week, I between the I and the M. And some see the I, that's a flesh body. They never get in between what's in there, what's inside of him, what he's about, who he is. And this man Zacchaeus, the scripture says it, so I have to believe it. He doesn't didn't climb up in that tree so he could just see, you know, Jesus pass by. Oh, that's him. There he is. Okay, looks like everybody else. What's the big deal? No, he wants to know who he is. And I believe because his heart, he wants to know who he is, that's what's going to happen. You will never want to know who Jesus is and him disappoint you. You'll never want to meet him that he isn't going to give you that opportunity to meet him and to know him and to trust him and to love him. So Zacchaeus is up in the tree, the crowd going down the street. They get to the tree where Zacchaeus is, and Jesus stops and looks up in the tree. I, I know the man, you know, that's got to be embarrassing, right? This is a rich man a tax collector known by everybody in that crowd. They hate him. He's a cheater. I've tried not to hate IRS agents, but I'm not doing any good at it. I don't want 87,000 more of them. If anybody here has dealt with a tax agent, it is, you're going to feel like that you're dealing with the KGB or Gestapo. Unilateral power. They decide. It's exactly what Zacchaeus has done. 
he's in the tree and the Lord stops. Said, hurry, get down from there. I must go to your house and we're going to stay at your house for a bit. And I think what it was is the Lord was going to take lunch break. He is, they're going down the road. He's been traveling. He's tired. He's thirsty. Um, he's going to go and and Zacchaeus came down, and I like this. It said he welcomed him into his house, and he rejoiced. I wonder what he was doing, jumping up and down for joy. That's what the word literally means. I mean, he was, he was just giddy. And his servant there, go get the, get, the, get the stuff, get the dinner, get it ready. I've got Jesus is here with me. And, and sets Jesus down in a place of honor in his house. And the scripture said that he didn't even sit down. He stood. He, I believe he felt like he didn't even belong at the same table with the Lord. And as this meeting goes on, it dawns on him who he is and it dawns on him who Jesus is. And he says, Lord, wow. He says, I've wronged people. I have exacted more tax from them than what I should have. And I know I've done it. And I'm going to start giving back. Because something had touched his life. He's becoming a new person in Jesus Christ. Something's telling him the life he's living is not right. It's no good. The only thing he can think of. And the crowd is pressing outside of his, his house. And if you look at the scripture, he's talking to Jesus. And it's a proclamation to the crowd. He's standing up. I believe he's by the door. He wants them to know that I'm going to give half of everything that I have to the poor. And if I have taken from any of these people, I'm going to re uh, restore it four times. What I have taken from them. Well, I'm going to say this. Some of the old preachers used to say, you know when people get saved, their pocketbook gets saved. And the reason why is because that's so close to us. Money is just so, you know, here's this rich man. A rich young ruler came to Jesus and Jesus told him the same thing that, that Zacchaeus was going to do. But that man didn't come to know the Lord, but Zacchaeus did. Somebody say amen. That man wanted to know who Jesus was, maybe about eternal life, but he didn't want to know intimately who Jesus was. But Zacchaeus had it in his heart, and now God has begun to change him. His life has changed. He's rejoicing. He's happy. The Lord's here. He took an opportunity, one opportunity. If I have to climb up in a tree, I've got to get to know this Jesus. I believe that his heart was before. That's why the Lord stopped. He knew the heart of the man. He wanted to know Jesus, and I think the church is at a crux in our teaching and our preaching and our church entity that we've lost the desire to know Jesus and we're doing other things with it. I'm going to tell you the opportunity. The opportunity for the church is to get to know our Lord and Master Rabbi Yeshua Jesus. It's what we're preaching this year. I hope you like it. It's what we're preaching. I don't want to preach anymore about church for church's sake. I don't want to preach anymore about church growth. I don't care about that. What I care about is getting to know Jesus. What I care about is every single person that comes in this place has an opportunity not to get to know about church, 
Not to get to know about Echoes of Calvary. Not even to get to know about this body. But get to know about our leader, our rabbi, our Lord, our Savior. He's the one that will change your life. Echoes won't change your life. Reading the Bible won't change your life. Even prayer won't change your life. Jesus is the one who changes your life. He could do more in a moment than what you can do a lifetime. And changes the life of a rich man who is just a vile, awful person. And now he's got a brand new life and a brand new rabbi. Wow, that's the message. That's the message. Can you say amen? Amen. I'm going to close in, in a few minutes. You thought I was going to close right now, but it's not. It's in a few minutes. And so, if these two men had not seized an opportunity, Bartimaeus would have been blind until he died, not knowing the Lord. Zacchaeus would have been rich and miserable hated by all, till he died. I believe Zacchaeus joined the early church. I believe that Bartimaeus joined the early church because they had an opportunity of encounter with Jesus. Can you say amen? Isn't that beautiful? It's a cry and shame that the American people have continuously rejected the true gospel when millions have not heard the gospel the first time. Squandered opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And the Lord said, I come to you. You don't even know. I came to you with the things of peace. I came to you with the things of blessing. And you didn't even know it. You missed your opportunity. I think the Lord is sadly shaking his head, saying to this modern American church, you've received the gospel of unconditional love. That was, yeah, you went with that. The gospel of unlimited grace. The gospel of prosperity, that seems like that's caught on pretty good. The gospel of word of faith, big movement. The gospel of Pentecostalism, 305 million strong. The gospel of holiness by works, that's, that's pretty catchy in this area. Salvation through water baptism, all oh, the churches accepted that. Miracles, signs, and wonders, oh, wow. If all the charismatics aren't rejoicing over that. The church has accepted the gospel of fantasy land called heaven. Everything you didn't have here, you're going to have there and just more and just gobs of fun and foolishness. The church has accepted a gospel of an end time revival which does not exist. more. That's an antithesis of the Scripture. You've heard it. If you've been raised up in church, you've been preached it. 
there's coming this last end time revival. There is not coming an end time revival. There is, though, going to be a great falling away from the truth. That's what the Scripture says. And the gate remains small, and the gate remains narrow, and few there be that find it. Don't be led astray by the crowds. The masses are always wrong. Let God's word be the truth. Can you say amen? Jesus said at one point, Jesus said at one point, and what shall I compare the men, the men of this generation? He's talking about the religious men, and I think this applies for right now. They are like little children sitting in the market calling one to another. I just aggravated myself this week, and I aggravated Kay because she doesn't like seeing it either. Just bringing up some of that stuff that they teach and, and, and watching that debauchery that has nothing to do with the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It has everything to do with you, how you feel, your money, your, 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 the production of what church is, uh, you know, organizations and denominations has nothing to do with the Lord. And the Lord is sitting there saying the same thing. The men of this generation are like children sitting in the marketplace talking to one another saying, I fluted for you, now you dance. And churches now, I see, I see this grouping. I don't know if you've seen this, Ronnie. There is a coming together of all of this crazy stuff to make one big conglomerate ball a mess. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Jesus is standing by, shaking his head, saying, You have missed your day, your time, your opportunity of my personal visitation. Church, we can't afford to go there. Can you say amen? We can't afford to go there. I always want to take the opportunity to visit with Jesus. That's at home. That's, you know, our daily walk. That's when we come together in the house of God. We're here to visit with the Lord. Can you say amen? How beautiful it is. How beautiful it is. We don't want to lose that ever, ever, ever. Jesus, Lord, I think about the man who climbed in the tree. He, he wants to know you, Lord. If we have that much desire, Lord, just to come to an opportunity to get close to you. I pray, Lord, we'll take it. I pray we'll take every, seize every opportunity, Lord, to be with you, to be with your people, to be with your goodness, your kingdom, your glory. Lord, I pray that our hearts, Lord, won't be led astray. Someone said, lo, I am here, lo, I am there, Lord. We won't be led astray in that. We'll keep our focus on you, our Lord and Rabbi Jesus. We praise you. Can everybody say amen? Amen. God bless you.